Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. I woke up feeling wealthy today. My bank account might not agree, but hey, that shit on the way. Me and my niggas laying brick on top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space. You know this game ain't for the weak, it's hard to carry this weight. I keep my balance through the ups and downs, I'm never gonna break. You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face. Cause this ain't a second, I can waste something food on place. Fumbled the bag, I still ain't got that disappointment to shake. So now I'm trying to double up on every dollar I make. Money don't buy you happiness, it sure don't take it away. I'm smiling hard as hell, every time I step in the you can't be making reckless moves, cause there's so much at stake When you got some shit to lose, your decisions gon' change Cause every action got a consequence, consider your ways Hardest thing to do in life is elevate through your pain I can relate to feeling like your life is stuck in the face Giving effort, but results just keep remaining the same Have some patience with yourself, shit ain't as bad as you claim I seen the homeless nigga smile while he was standing in rain It's all about perspective Chillin', catching blessings And cryptocurrency been bustin' And I'm well invested She know that if she rock with me Then she gon' stay protected Cause even when this shit get hectic I ain't never stressin' I'm legend I woke up feeling wealthy today My bank account might not agree But hey, that shit on the way Me and my niggas layin' brick On top of brick till we straight If you the type that play the victim You can't come in my space You know this game ain't for the weak It's hard to carry this weight I keep my balance Through the ups and downs I'm never gon' break You feel the purpose in my spirit When you look in my face Cause this ain't a second I can waste I'm putting food on place yeah. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy David Bellar, one fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-host. Fellas, how y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. I am feeling good, feeling great, feeling hydrated. Thanks to some Aspire Pure Water. You know, feeling great. What's up, my brothers? How y'all doing? Yes, sir. Yo, what's good, everybody? It's your boy Kel here, checking in, checking in on a lovely Saturday. Feeling good, feeling great. How you doing over there, Jared? What's good? What's good, everybody? It's your boy Jared, another fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in. I'm feeling great, man. I'm here, you know, feeling good, moving. 
boxes in the place and stuff. So <laughs> it's always a <laughs> fun like process. Oh yeah, always. Transitions, man. That's what life is. A bunch of transitions. With, hey, transitions and level ups, man. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Love it. But as Jalen kind of mentioned, he touched on it. And we sipping on this Aspire Pure, the official water BWR. If y'all interested in getting some black owned water, real good for you. Good for your body, Aspire yeah. Pure. It's link alkalized. Yeah. We got a link to that in the show notes. You can use the promo code BWR10 to get 10% off your first purchase. But with that said, and y'all, hey, we man. got yeah, we got we a, great, got a episode. great episode on the way, y'all. Man, I'm excited for this one. We've been having a pretty great conversation as we leading up into this. Uh, I want to ask everybody to like, subscribe, rate, comment, leave a review on the podcast. Helps us grow and all that good stuff. But like I was just mentioning, we have a great guest on here. This lady is absolutely killing it. She is a CPA and certified tax consultant that is focused on serving high network clients with her own firm out of Houston and the author of one of the number one new release books, Profit First for Minority Business Owners, a book that's showing our people how to get right with business, man. None other than Miss Suzanne Mariga. Suzanne, how are you feeling? Great. I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank so you so much. much for we appreciate you for showing up. And we definitely are excited to get into the conversation. Yes. Indeed. Just like David was mentioning, you know, some of the things that you talk about, that book, and really just the role that you take on as a CPA as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we even get into all the good stuff, let's just get you to introduce yourself to the audience. How did you find your way into becoming a CPA? And how did you want to take that knowledge that you learn and start helping people actually make profits in their business? Oh, wow. This is a really long story. 20 years in the making. I've been a CPA for over 20 years. I'm like, thank God for Miss Claire. All right. She's amazing. And I always tell people I grew up as a CPA. Literally, my dad owned his own firm in Cincinnati, Ohio. He hired me when I was 14, by the way. For you guys that are business owners, that is an amazing way to not just transition wealth, right? Transition knowledge too. So I always joke that by the time I was 24, I was actually an expert because Malcolm Gladwell, for those of you who have read Outliers, you know, he says it takes about 10 years to become a expert at anything. So when I graduated from college, I was literally an expert at accounting by the time I got out. And, you know, it was interesting because, you know, I started my career just like a lot of accountants, you know, big four accounting firm, number one firm at the time was Arthur Anderson. And it was very interesting because it wasn't a time where there was a lot of diversity in the firm at all. You know, I remember it was 2000 accountants. I think there was five of us that were African-American that was at an entire mm-hmm. building. So I'm really excited about this era where we're going to be transitioning that, right? Having more people of color, more people that look like us in the room. And it was interesting because, you know, I started my business when I had my little girl about 13 years ago. And, you know, when I started my business, you know, I was like, you know, I just want to super serve my clients. I just want to like do a great job. And Naturally, I thought that profits would follow, right? Because that's what we're told. If we work really hard, that's the American dream, super serve, be responsible about our expenses that, you know, we're going to naturally just grow our set of books and we're going to be super profitable. And it was interesting because my journey ended up being everything but that. You would think being a big four public accountant, I would not have had that journey. But literally three years into my business, my husband sat me down at the dinner table one night and he goes, honey, you need to consider getting a J-O-B, right? And he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right because, you know, in my corporate job, I worked just 40 hours a week. I was a manager so I could delegate my work to my staff, right? I had vacation time that was paid and I had a 401k and recruiters frankly still wanted me. And he was absolutely right because, you know, I was literally, I had entered into this 
race towards zero, this entrepreneur poverty where we're competing upon price, right? And it wasn't until I really got intentional about my business, right? And figured out what was really important to me and started to align my actions with my values, right? That I really started to have the business of my dream. And it was interesting because I wasn't the only one that was going through that. A lot of my clients were also going through that. I always joke, I was in the elevator one day when I had just started my business and I was, you know, in this elevator and just going to this networking event. And this really nice looking gentleman is like in the elevator with me. He's wearing a suit and I'm networking. So I ask him, what is he doing? And he tells me, oh, he has this business. You know, he's a certified MBE. It's multi-million dollar government contracts. And I'm thinking, oh man, I only had a startup at the time. You know what I mean? And I remember just feeling so small, right? And I remember like, you know, later on, a few years later, he became my client and I was seeing all these millions go through his bank account but he was only making $50,000 a year. And I'm like, you know how much work it takes to make a million dollars? You know, how much sales you have to do, how many people you have to manage just to make, I was like, I was making more than that as a second year accountant. What's going on with that? And really that was my pivotal moment that we know we needed to really start educating entrepreneurs that it's not just about the dollars and revenue, it's the bottom line that matters. Mm. And we need to teach our entrepreneurs to take their profit first. Mm. Mm, that's powerful. Man. Ooh, that was that was good stuff right there. So, Suzanne, I want to go into it, that little period where you were talking about when you first started your business, those three years, like, because that's interesting to me. You said your husband sat you down, he told you to get a job. So what was going on in your business to feel that way? Even before that, like what prompted you to start the business? And then can we lead into his question? Yeah, definitely. I was starting my business. Literally, I was a manager and I was responsible for the Toronto part of the operation of this really large corporation. And I was literally flying there every single week from Houston to Toronto. And when you fly that often from international, eventually you're going to get on what I call the propeller jet. You guys have been on those. Those those like Mm three-seater planes where they have like the one little seat on the one side of the window and you've got the like the two seats on the other and you like fight for that single seat, right? Because you don't want to sit next to a stranger. And literally one day I was flying to Toronto to see my client. I shouldn't have been on a plane. You know, I was literally probably like seven months pregnant. You're not supposed to be on the plane when you're third trimester. And I was literally sitting on this plane. I couldn't fit in that plane anymore. You know, when your belly gets that big, the flight attendant wants you to put that arm seat down. And I'm like, my belly will not fit with this arm seat down. And it hit me at that point that my life was going to change drastically. You know, for me to be able to raise my daughter and, keep flying to Toronto every single week, something was going to happen. Either I was going to have to start not being able to give all in my career. I was not going to be a present as a mom, right? Because you can't be like in a whole different country every week and be a mother. And so that's what really led me to changing and really starting my business was just knowing that, you know, I'm a go-getter. I want to super serve my clients. And I was looking for that balance between being a mom and owning a business and being an entrepreneur. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. For that answer, you spoke on that three year period whenever you were starting your business, like that first three years of your business. Can you talk to like how that was? I know you just mentioned you were trying to balance being a mom and working out being an entrepreneur. So, like, can you get into some of those struggles and what led you to really, 
Like after that conversation with your husband, how did you change your course of action? Yeah, definitely. I was like a lot of entrepreneurs, right? I love what I did, right? I mean, I was a geek on accounting. I mean, like seriously, like I actually ordered IRS like publications and I read them, you know, I was like a complete geek. All right. And I was like a lot of entrepreneurs. We start our businesses because we love what we do, David, right? We love what we do and we love it so much. We would do it for free, right? Whether you're an electrician, whether you're an engineer, whether you're an artist, you know, or a musician, we love what we do. That is the gift that God gave us and we want to bring it to the world, right? And that's exactly what I did. I was so excited about bringing on clients. And I was the one I would like blind out my phone, you know, like, you know, make it private. And I would call my competitors and be like, how much are you charging? You know, and that's how I would set my price. Right. And by the way, guys, the last way that you want to set your price, because at the end of the day, the winner is zero, right? The winner is zero. And so you definitely don't want to compete about price. And we can talk about that later. And, you know, it really was, you know, finding that profit first journey. And it was interesting because I was part of this online community at the time and I was working like crazy hours, like it was tax season. And the problem that happens when you compete upon price is that if you're trying to be the lowest cost provider, because you're just trying to build a value-based business is what happens is you don't have enough margins to reinvest in your business, right? And so what was happening was the only one that was going to work, right, would be me because I didn't have the margins to hire anybody that was good, right? And if I could bring somebody in, they had to be so entry level that I would pretty much have to redo their work because there were so many mistakes. And so it was at a point that I was probably working these 80 hour weeks and it was one Saturday and I was sitting at my computer and I was actually doing a free return, a favor for a friend, right? Be careful for that entrepreneurs. And it got to a point that my back literally went snap. It literally went snap on me. Like I couldn't get out of my seat. And, <laughs> and I literally that week was in bed on muscle relaxers, high on muscle relaxers. And it hit me. I said, man, I wish I could hire somebody to do this work while I'm out. But frankly, I'm not even paying myself. I can't even hire somebody to do the work because I'm not even paying myself. I don't even have a salary. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you're paying yourself. Because at the end of the day, you're the MVP. And if you step out of your business, you know, it's not Sally's joy or Sue, that's your MVP. It's you, right? And if you're not paying yourself a salary, you know, if you have to step out of that role, right? Even if it's the role of a CEO, you're going to have to be able to put somebody else in that. And so that's why it's important to reserve your salary. But literally, I was sitting in bed, I put out an SOS to my online group. And they're like, you know, and they gave me so much advice. They're like, oh my gosh, you need to get profit first. You need to get profit first. And it's a book that I ordered was by Mike McCallitz. And literally this book was about taking your profit first because we go to school, we're accountants. I know you guys are fabulous business guys. You know, I have been watching your show for a while, but literally we are taught revenue minus expenses equals profit, right? Revenue Mm -hmm. minus expenses equals profit. And the problem with that equation, right? That US gap equation, I'm licensed in and I can solve that backwards algebraically in my sleep, right? The problem with that equation is when we tell our entrepreneurs, focus on revenue, focus on sales, sell to anybody that breathes, drop your prices, even if you can get somebody through the door, right? And then be responsible, pay your bills, right? Because the government doesn't want to like bail you out for debt, right? They want to make sure they get the SBA loan back, that we teach them that profit is a natural byproduct. But the problem is, is that when we don't focus on profit, we don't focus on what's important to us. It very rarely turns out that. In fact, the U.S. Labor and Rural Statistics tells us that in five years, half the small businesses that start will close, right? They close because they run out of cash and nobody's going to continue to lend to people that aren't making money, right? That's just not going to happen. 
And again, it's all because of the gap. And so what happens in profit first is literally we flip that equation. So instead of like prioritizing our expenses, we're going to pay our profit first. So it's revenue minus profit equals expenses. Pay your profit first. And it works through like the use of bank accounts. So you guys have probably heard of Dave Ramsey and his envelope mm-hmm. system. Well, I don't want my business owners keeping envelopes underneath their bed. That's a very dangerous thing. Okay. But what happens in business is we literally create bank accounts and we create bank accounts based upon our purpose. So we have a revenue bank account, which literally collects all of our revenue, right? Our sales, all of our sales goes into this revenue account. We create a bank account for your profit account, right? And literally we're going to fund this profit account first. And we create another bank account for owner's pay because I said, you know, when my back went out, I so wish that I was giving a paycheck at that time. Taxman, he's a part of life. You know, if you drive that Bugatti, you're going to have a tax liability. So let's go ahead and reserve for it versus freaking out at the end of the year, right? And then finally, the last bank account that we're going to have is an operating expense account. And this is the account that that's whatever's left, right? So that's where we're going to have to make decisions. You know, do I want to have that lease downtown, right? Where that's really expensive and that high rise, or maybe I want to home office it for a while, right? And recruit virtually across the country to recruit the best and rights. I'm going to have to make some decisions. And literally what happens is all the money is collected in this one revenue account. And then twice a month on the 10th and 25th of the month, we reallocate the money to the different bank accounts. So we literally fund our profit first. We fund our owner's pay. We fund our tax. And then whatever's left over goes to that operating expense account. So literally we're working with our natural human tendencies. I give the example of like the dieting, right? When you go on a diet, one of the first things that happens on a diet is they tell you, use small plates. And they tell you to use small plates because they want you to eat less food, right? Versus if you go to Golden Crown, you get this huge plate, you're going to eat a whole lot more. So that's mm-hmm. exactly how Profit First works. It works with something called Parkinson's Law, where literally we're working with your natural human tendencies. One of our previous guests mentioned Parkinson's Law, Reggie. And that was a very helpful gem yeah. with the different accounts for the different purposes yeah. within the business. I love how you broke that down. I ain't gonna lie. Like I was over here taking notes. I'm like, okay, I never even thought about that. But it's really smart because it plays into like the thing with budgeting, with breaking down your accounts by purpose. So why not do it for your business? I love how y'all do that. And that was a feature that was in that book, Profit First. Exactly. It's in Profit First and also Profit First for Minority Business Enterprises. Mm. Okay. And we could talk about Profit First for Minority enterprises, because I kind of want to talk about how it came full circle for you. You ordered the book and how many years did it take for you, you know, to implement everything you start to actually get there. And then it comes full circle where you're actually working with the author of that book to publish one for minorities. You know, Profit First is a pretty new concept. It probably wasn't around to like the last seven years uh, where Mike invented it. And it's very interesting because it takes about 18 months to implement. Just like when you go on a diet, I would never put you on a no food diet. Like you won't come back, right? Mm-hmm. If I put you on a no food diet, you're like, that was a great idea, Suzanne, but no, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But I kind of look at it as like running a marathon. So when you're running a marathon and I say tomorrow, hey, Jalen, we're going to run a marathon tomorrow. And Jalen's like, you know, well, Jalen's you know, in great shape. He's probably runs marathons all the time. But if Jalen goes, you know, I haven't ran a marathon since high school. And I say, oh, well, that's okay, Jalen. We're going to practice it today. And tomorrow you'll be absolutely fine. He's going to call me up and go, hey, Suzanne, I'm sorry, I'm not coming. You good luck. I'm cheering for you watching TV, but good luck on that. 
But instead, if I say, you know what, instead, we're going to go ahead and walk a mile today. Tomorrow, we're going to walk two. Next week, we're going to actually run a mile. In a year from now, we're going to be successful in that marathon. That's exactly how Profit First works is Mm -hmm. it's gradual changes, right? I can't get you out of that lease tomorrow because that's going to ruin your credit, right? I need to start transitioning. How do we do that? I need to look at your organization chart. What employees are we not using efficiently? Who's our A players? Who's our C players? How do we make strategic decisions on who to keep and who to get rid of? And normally it takes about 18 months. And it took me about a year to fully implement it in my business personally and really start to implement that from that standpoint. So it takes about 18 months to do that. As an accountant, I am a profit first professional. I am certified in that. So I have been trained and coached on it. I am actually mastery level certified in that. And I think what allowed me to write the book was really just the success that we have with our clients. I worked with many, many clients that, you know, it's interesting because it's a lot of my clients are non-minorities, ironically. And it's interesting because I noticed that as we were implementing Profit First and their business, we were literally creating legacy changes for them. Like they literally, they would come to me, they were making $50,000 bottom line in terms of net income. And they would, again, most of them are half a million above in terms of revenue. So they're great at sales, great at doing what they do. They just didn't have the bottom line. And, and by the way, you know, the average net income for a million dollar company is about 50,000, just so you guys know, statistically. So wow. that's all, again, what, a lot what of work. What percentage is that? Like, of a... <laughs> it's like probably like 5%. It's very terrible, isn't it? <laughs> it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible, but it's true. And literally, I was turning them into millionaires. They were becoming millionaires from working with me on Profit First. Because I mean, you guys know the numbers, you know, it, it changes over time, but it's common size percentages. So percentages based upon revenue is how it works. And if you're under $250,000 in revenue, it's like 70% should go to owner's benefit between profit, owner's pay and tax. That's what we see in a healthy company. And then as the business grows in terms of revenue over time, you know that owner's pay as a percentage goes down because now you're relying on the power of your team. So your OPEX goes up. And so literally these guys are becoming millionaires by doing profit first, just because they were taking their profit first, because you literally you would look at your bank account. It's just physics. It's the movement of money. If you move money from one account to another, you don't touch it, it accumulates. And I was like, man, I really think that this needs to get to people of color. It needs to get to our people so that, you know, we're turning these other people into millionaires. We need to really get this message out. And that's what motivated me to really write this book. But of course, you know, when you're having results, where you're turning people into millionaires and I've got testimonials um, from our book launch where my clients were literally coming on and talking about that, it attracts attention, it attracts attention. And that's why I got to write this book. So I have a question. So if you're a corporation or a company that is not having the greatest profit margins or they're not having a good profit, uh, what are some steps that they could take like straight out of the gate that they can try to help themselves? You know, Kelly, I like to start with what does winning look like with my clients? Mm. And this is really, really important. One of the things that I am, in addition to a CPA, is I am a certified mindset coach. So I actually went through the training in order to become a coach because what I noticed is that clients that really had really exceptional results, it was really all in their mindset, right? It was all in their mindset. And if I could get them to close their eyes and literally visualize what they wanted and see it, like almost like the 1980s Polaroid camera, you know, you take the picture and it spits it out, right? If I could get them to visualize success, their chances for success improve exponentially. And so what I do with them is kind of like if you ask powerful questions, you get powerful results, right? They get you thinking at a different level. 
And I would ask them, I said, you know, what does winning look like? What does winning look like? And I want to get Pacific, you know, from the company side, from the business, how much revenue do you want to make? What kind of lifestyle do you want? Do you want to work 40 hours a week? Do you want to work 10 hours a week? You know, do you want to travel the world four weeks out of a year? What does winning look like for you? And then we back or algebraically figure out what does the revenue need to look like? How do we need to price our services or products in order to generate that lifestyle? Do we need to be a boutique business? And if we're a boutique business, maybe we can't serve everybody, right? Maybe we serve high net worth clients, right? We position ourselves differently. If we want to be a more commoditized services, we need to have a wide net cast from a marketing strategy, right? Because now we're dealing on a margin-based business. And so, you know, it start with what winning looks like and then algebraically figure that out because every company has a different strategy. If I want to have companies around the country, right? And I want to be have franchises, that's going to take a very different strategy than, hey, I just want to be a local mom and pop ice cream shop. I want my community to remember me. I want kids, girls and Boy Scouts to come in and go, I grew up at that place. It's going to take a very different marketing strategy. So it's again, Kelly, it's just starting with what does winning look like and let's algebraically figure out how to get there. Okay. So- with the, the profit first method, you just mentioned like figuring out those numbers. Can we give like an example with some some easy numbers so that people can maybe see like what it is like to implement that in a business? Like, let's say you had a business that was making $100,000 or a million dollars and we just kind of like, what would it look like to take the profit first? And then how do you like account for your expenses in that situation? Because I know like it's similar to in personal finances, how we were talking earlier, separating the bank accounts, the money jar method. This is just like the pay yourself first method. Is it a certain, I guess you're asking, is a certain percentage that you're putting into each account is what you're asking or something? Like like just how do you figure it out beforehand when it comes to like taking your profit before expenses? Because we're taught to you deal with everything that you have to pay. And then you pay yourself. Yeah. But that's what, whenever we talk personal finances, we tell everybody pay yourself first. It's the same type of concept. Exactly. And different businesses have different levels of percentages, right? Usually when I'm dealing with the first category, we call it category A, right? In category A, you might have 5% of your real revenue going towards profit, right? And then you'll have, in this case, you might have 15% going to tax, right? And then 30% going to OPEX. And then there's, I think it's 50% owner's pay in that first category A. And then by the time you are a $10 million company, right? Your OPEX account is going to be 65% because you know, at a $10 million company, you've got a Texas presence. So you guys know Mattress Mac, right? Um, He literally only shows up for commercials. He's not there walking in the ground telling you, hey, you need to buy this couch, right? Because now he's relying on the power of his team, right? So most of his company is run without him. And so his payroll is probably 0%, you know, compared to the expenses of the overall company, even though he's got 20% profit, right? And 15% reserve for tax. So 65% of his expenses are going to be going towards his employees, and his rent and that type of thing. So as the company scales, those percentages are going to change with that. Mm, I'm glad you broke that down so eloquently. And I kind of want to ask you about something else that you mentioned. And it was like the organization charts and determining which role or which level your people are on your team. Can we get into that into how do we determine who's a level A versus level C person and And then after that, I ask you about the organizational chart. I don't want to throw too much at you. You know, when you're dealing with scaling businesses, which is what I primarily work with, so you're no longer a party of one, right? You've got those employees, you're growing, you're getting your seven figures and beyond. And one of the things that will happen is, you know, there are people that you start out with are not going to be the people that you finish with, right? 
you know, when you start your business, maybe you just needed a task doer. You need somebody that can just follow instructions, just keep hitting the enter button every hour. That's all I need you to do is hit that enter button every hour. But as my business grows, right, I need a manager. I need someone that can really fix things that are broken because now I've been able to automate some processes and I don't need you to hit that enter button anymore, right? That's probably too simple, but <laughs> kind of breaking it down a little bit more simplified for you. And as your business grows, you know, you're going to need a different set of talent. Maybe you're going to need problem solvers. And maybe those employees that originally started with you, maybe they're not investing in themselves and they're not going to grow with you to that next level, mm -hmm. right? And with business, you know, you can keep your resources allocated to that person that's not able to really grow with you. And that's going to cut your opportunity and block your blessings to get the person that you really need, or you're gonna have to make some hard decisions, right? And so at the end of the day, you want people on board with you that are really in their zone of genius, right? Meaning that they were designed to make widgets. They were designed to be musicians in this position. You want people that are true as Gay Hendricks because zone of genius, right? And, you know, when you hire A players, right? When you hire an A player, this is someone that is, you know, they're in their zone of genius, right? And it's going to take three B players, three average players, right? To equal one A player. And it's going to take six C players, right? In order to equal one B player. So if you hire more A players, it's going to cost you less, right? It's going to cost you less if you have more A players. And so it's going to benefit you more to have A players in your business and really be able to hone in on their talent because it's going to, you might have to pay that A player a little bit more money, but that's going to save you a whole lot more money than having six C players, right? So you want to have more A players. And so what I do typically with my clients is I take the payroll because that's going to be your biggest expense on any scaling organization. And I really, I sort them from highest to lowest, right? Because whomever is giving more, much is more is expected, right? Mm -hmm. And literally, I look at what is your role, right? What is your job description? Are you fulfilling that role? And can somebody do this role better? And literally going through that organization chart and going A, B, and Cs. Cs, we need to have a performance improvement plan. We might even need to have a coaching out. You know, maybe you need some job search time, right? And A players, I'm investing in my A players, right? Because I want to give them more opportunities because A players are usually not there for the money. They're there because they love what they do and they want more opportunities and they want to grow. Hmm. That's really, really beneficial. And I think any entrepreneurs out there listening to this, I really want y'all to take heed to that because I could see where, you know, like you say, when you're starting off, you have this one person, they have been loyal to you for a long time. So it could be very hard for you to say, okay, it's time for us to part ways, or I need to see this type of performance increase from you, or you're at risk of being on the chopping block. Sorry, I had to do the food network right quick. <laughs> but it's like, it's very important because you get people that's really emotionally attached and sometimes they're like, you know, this is something that I'm really dependent on. So you're thinking about, you know, I don't want to do that to them and their family. So like, how do you get your clients to really have those talks? Maybe there's someone in HR, but maybe there's not even an HR department. So if it's like, if you're one of the people who have to make that decision, how do you prepare them for that? You know, it's always hard, right? Because as employers, we affect people's lives, right? And that is always a challenge with that. And, you know, one of the big questions that when I'm working with my clients, I go, what is the cost of staying the same, right? What's the cost of staying the same? Because at the end of the day, you can only go as fast as your slowest player. When you're playing a relay, your slowest player is going to be the one that helps you win, right? Or lose, right? In that case. And so there's a cost with staying the same. There's a cost of not making that decision, right? Because not making a decision is making a decision to stay mediocre. 
in mm. many, many ways with that. So that's the first thing that I would consider for them if they are in that situation with that. The other thing is, I think we have to start changing the concept of family owned business. You know what I mean? And you're right, Jalen, you know, a lot of times there is that loyalty to the team, right? And I think we need to look at it more in terms of professional sports, you know, in professional sports, we're mm. a family, but at the end of the day, we're a team. Our goal is to advance the ball. And if we're not advancing the ball, then we don't need to be on the team, right? And I think that we need to start looking at our businesses instead of like the family, we can't get rid of each you no matter how terrible you are, right? We sanction that incompetence to more of being a team. We are working together to really make an impact in this world. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Hmm. I want to win yeah. some championships. Yeah, I like that a lot because it all plays into that idea of like hiring people who can really make those decisions. Like you said, those A players, the people that you can continue to build with. So whenever you're looking for like, do you help those clients like scout out those A players? You know, I don't actually do human resources mm -hmm. <laughs> because A player is different depending on the culture of the company, right? Because, you know, you can have an A player in one company and they're actually amazing, but you put them in a culture of another, same job, same function. It just doesn't work, right? because mm -hmm. of different dynamics. So I more so coach in terms of metrics. Um, and what we're looking at is we're doing job costing. So we're looking at those job profitability reports, you know, and who's assigned on that job. So if you got a job A and B, but job A is killing it, it's so profitable. And it's really the same job as B, but the only difference is the employee, then that's where I will hone in and go, let's take a look at this and go, what is going on in job B? <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe it's a performance issue. Maybe it's a client issue. Maybe we didn't price it right. And really let's hone in it from that standpoint. And then we're looking at how is that person doing on all their jobs? So we're really, really layering it down and really dissecting what's going on to identify the problem. I have a question on profitability. So we spoke about um, most, on average, most million dollar businesses have about 50,000 worth of profit and it's around, around 5%. And I know it differs between different industries, but on average, what should a good business have for a profit percentage-wise? You know, it changes as the business grows. So it changes as the business grows. Profitability should be going up, even percentage-wise, the larger the business gets, right? Because as the owner is becoming less significant, right? Because he's scaling, he's relying on the power of his team, his profitability should be growing because that team should be generating profits for him. So, you know, it, it really depends on the level. I'll tell you this, profit-first clients typically do a whole lot better than their industry. If you pull the Dun & Bradstreet report, which is the credit reporting report for businesses, you know, most businesses, it always shocks me. I'm like, you got 2% profitability. Oh my gosh, 2%. You know, I profit first clients, you know, they can go up to 20% profitability 
plus owner's pay and plus that 15% reserve for tax. I mean, they definitely kill the market on that. And I kind of want to talk about, you know, right now, whenever you're talking about the profitability, what if it's not just a one owner business? What if it starts off as a partnership? Does that look different versus a single owner business? Even the partnership, it's in profit first, we look at the business as a whole. So okay. you just have two partners sharing the same profit. That, that's all on I that. I got you. And whenever you're determining, you know, with the team and everything, is there a certain threshold that you should start looking at before you starting to hire people? Is that something that you kind of coach your people on? Yeah, you know, there's metrics, right? There's return on investment and people are investment, right? And on Profit First, what I'd like to see as a minimum, this is as a minimum, I'd like to see $150,000 of revenue, real revenue being generated per employee. And, and that's, again, you know, more so the minimum. Now, if you're in a professional service tech organization, like you're a doctor and you're hiring other doctors or you've got engineers, six-figure com- um, employees, then I want to see, I want to see a 4X on that. So they're making 4X of what their salary is. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh- I wanted to get into you being a certified tax coach as well. Sure. Uh, you mentioned that prior to us getting on the call that you're a certified tax coach and you focus and emphasize your strategies on a high net worth individuals. So can you get into like, what does a certified tax coach do for certain, yeah. like, is this for businesses or just individuals? Well, there's a lot more you can do with businesses, right? Than what you can do from a W2 employee. And I, been listening to enough of your shows to know y'all have had that conversation many, many times. So I won't go into that at all. But as a certified tax coach, what that means is I'm certified by the American Institute of Certified Tax Planners. And it's interesting because a lot of times when my clients come to me, they have cash flow problems and we quickly turn that into profit problems or tax problems, right? And luckily we're really good at dealing with those. And one of the things that makes us a little bit different than your traditional accountant is I will never tell you, and I've seen some people talk about this accountants, I'm like, shame, 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 shame. I will never tell you to increase your expenses in order to save on taxes. I'm like, why in the heck would you go out and buy a twenty-five or $40,000 truck just to get a 25,000 section 179 deduction, right? Which is going to save you, what, 10,000 bucks in taxes at the most, depending on your bracket. Who in the world will give somebody that kind of advice, run your business at a loss? That doesn't make sense to me. You know, instead of what I'm going to do is I'm saying, you know what, let's go ahead and kick the can a little bit further down. And so one of the things that I might do with my clients, I'll go, what is one of the things you want to accomplish in your business? What's important to you at the end of the day? As you guys know, you're starting to see the trend here. I go, what is your goal, right? And when you're dealing with a scaling business, one of the things that's really important is longevity, right? Because Mm -hmm. it costs a whole lot more to recruit somebody, train them. In fact, they say it costs about 60% of someone's salary in order to find a replacement. So if you got an A player, I want you to keep that A player long because the longer they're in their job, the better they're going to get, right? Because they're going to, and they're going to find even more efficiencies, right? Because they're going to get better at their job. And so we want to keep these A players. And so how can we incentivize these A players to stay while at the same time giving you a tax deduction? And so one of the things that I'm going to look at is I'm going to say, you know what, let's look at a 401k, but not just like your safe harbor. You know, I don't want to do safe harbor. Let's do something a little bit more complicated that's going to incentivize somebody to stay. Let's say I want you to be with me for six years before you fully vest in this 401k. So I'm going to technically be making contributions to you. But if you leave me before six years, guess what? You forfeit your contribution and that goes back into the trust. Okay. Mm -hmm. That goes back into the trust, which I can later on use that to fund other contributions, or if I'm the last one standing and it's in the trust because nobody stayed more than two years, 
Sorry, I know you guys are millennials. <laughs> like millennials, what their career lasts two years on average. What happens is that goes towards my retirement when I retire. Okay. And so literally all this time I've gotten a tax deduction, but I'm saving for my own retirement because you just weren't loyal enough, right? To build wow. your own retirement. So that's how I'm going to advise you. You know, we're going to look at captive insurance policies, right? Where you may own an insurance company where it's expense on one side and it's not revenue on another. We're going to get pretty complicated in order to achieve your goals while at the same time building your wealth is what we're going to do. We're not going to ever tell you to run a loss so you can get a deduction. <laughs> that's just craziness to me. <laughs> you you just touched on some different things in there too. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I really like, like that. The idea about using the trust. I want to get into that too. Real quick, what are safe harbor 401ks versus like a regular 401k? So safe harbor are really, they're IRS sanctioned plans. So they come with a template is really what I call them. They're template plans. Everybody's auto-enrolled. They get 3%. They're great for your initial savings. But like I said, you can do a whole lot better through that strategy. Okay. And the part with the trust. So that would be set up like through the contractual agreement that you have with the player in the business where it was like, if you don't meet these obligations or you choose to leave this job in the next six years, all the money that I contributed, I was writing off on my taxes. I still own it, but I don't technically own it. My trust owns it. Exactly. And the trust is there for the employees, right? Mm. Which you just happen to be the last one standing. Wow, this is playing on a different level. Like, and that's really cool because I like how you said, you know, we're not spending this on physical things. Like this is some stuff that can really help you out in the long term. Like even if you're building one, something up and it lasts 10, 12 years and you've been contributing in this, now you're saving on the taxes on the front end. Like you're helping lower your tax liability year over year. Now you're just, you got all of this money. Is all of that money, whenever I pull it out, would that be tax free or how would that work? Well, at that point, when you're dissolving the trust, right, at the worst come the shove your right capital to gain tax rate. So a lot of my clients are at the 37% tax bracket, which is the highest personal tax bracket, just because, again, their profit first, their revenues are starting at a half a million. So yeah, with the math, you know, their, their high net worth just from mm -hmm. where they're starting at. So a lot of them are at that 37% bracket. But, you know, capital gain rates are at a lot lower bracket, right? And you can always control when you pull it out, right? You can control it. You know, if you want to pull it out at 0%, you know, 15%, 20%, there's a lot of control that you have with it. And, you know, it also depends on if it's pre-tax or after tax, depending on the 401k and how it's set up too. It may be ordinary income, but again, you're pulling it out. You don't have to pull it all at once, right? You just pull it out in a year that you're just not making a lot of money, right? And then you can just control it because a lot of times if you're making that much, you have personal savings too along the way. And where did you learn this type of strategy? Like, was this something you learned while you were in school or was this something you learned from the profit first method? When did you come across this strategy? You know, it's accumulated knowledge. I started when I was 14, Jalen. <laughs> I started when I was 14. I read the, I read uh -huh. the, the publications. <laughs> I got you. You was a CPA before you were a CPA. And I was good at algebra too. And I'm like, oh, if you can do this, you can do that. <laughs> I do want to speak to that. You you did say that your father was a CPA and stuff. How integral do you think that was like in your development in this industry? You know, I think 14 is a really critical time too in your development when I started, right? My brain was probably still forming. So it was a really great, you know, just having that exposure that young was really critical for me and doing that. And so like when my classmates had no real life experience and they were getting out of school, 
there was no way that they could compete with someone that had 10 years of experience, no matter how young they were when they were starting out. And, you know, and for my dad, you know, it was an amazing tax write-off, right? Because, you know, if you hire your child, especially if you're a, and I know you guys have probably talked about on the show before, you know, and if you are a Schedule C filer, right? It's a sole proprietorship from a tax standpoint, you know, your child, you don't have to pay any Social Security and Medicare on their wages, right? And plus, if they make less than the standard deduction, then really, you know, there's no tax at all. So if you put that money into a Roth IRA account for your child, by the time that they graduate from high school, they're going to college, you know, they can drain that Roth IRA to pay for college. And if they're, you know, they get an academic scholarship like I did, and they don't need the money, then what happens is when they buy their first home, they've got a down payment for their first home. And then like, you know, if they're a baller and they like, you know, play professional sports, you know, because they live in Dallas, you know, and they and the whole thing for Dallas, you know, what happens is then they can, you know, just continue to use that money and not use it and just keep it in there for their retire. And they can draw it out tax free because Technically, when they put it in there, even though it was 0%, it was already taxed, right? Mm-hmm. That's a powerful Like, I'm glad you talked about Roth IRAs because we literally just had a class on that in BWR Academy. And like he was going into that, like why the Roth IRA is such a powerful vehicle in that because it's so multifaceted. You can use it for retirement. You can use it to invest in things. You can use it for education. And then on top of that, the child, when you use the standard deduction is $12,400, correct? Yeah. Exactly. So you can pay the child up to twelve thousand four hundred, max out the IRA, and they still got six thousand to do whatever they needed. Was your dad actually paying you the money, or did oh you gosh, he told me I was making two bucks an hour. Is what that man told me. <laughs> 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 I didn't know I was paying for my own extracurricular activities and the family vacations. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Dang, <laughs> I thought he that's was, how I you do it, right? You it. Nope. <laughs> but you got to enjoy the but benefits yeah, but- still. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It was things he would have paid for anyway, right? Mm-hmm. I like that though. And I kind of want to jump back into profit first for minorities and some of the concepts that you go over in that book. Because you know, you said one of the reasons that you wrote it was because you saw that there wasn't a representation of us in some of these rooms mm-hmm. and how you should operate yourself once you do get into some of these rooms. Could we go over some of like maybe the top two? principles or concepts that's outlined in that book for minorities that you feel like they should know? Yeah. You know, the book covers so many things that are specific for minorities, which I love. In addition to the high network taxation, some of the things that we talked about today, one of which is, and I'm going to start with the government contracting first, and then I'm going to start with going into the room where nobody looks like you. And, you know, a government contract, one of the things that people don't realize is that, um, Minority business enterprise is actually a certification, right? You actually, it means that your company is 51% owned by an ethnic minority, right? And, you know, there's women certifications to women-owned business certifications, but specifically it means you're 51% owned by an ethnic minority. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that it allows you to bid, right, for certain government set aside or government contracts. And there's also a private sector certification to do the National Minority Supplier Development Council. And what it allows you to do is to compete in these RFP processes. But the thing is, you have to be careful because what an RFP stands for is stands for a request for proposal, right? It's that bidding process. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're bidding, right? So if you've got Jalen, David, and Kelly and Jared bidding against each other, the one that's going to win from the government standpoint is the one that gets closer to zero, right? The one that's closest to free. And what that means is that, is there really a winner in government contracting, right? Because you're going to be bidding so low, your mm. profitability is lower too. And a lot of these contracts, you're better off walking away from, right? 
in my book, I'm going to talk about when is a government contract, a good contract to bid for. You know, we talk about sole source where there are contracts that don't even go out for bid Mm -hmm. and what those really look like. So those are more of the minority Pacific issues that we're going to deal with. Now, in terms of like the room, you know, I always tell everyone, you know, when I started my career, I went to work for Anderson, right? And when I worked for Anderson, and this is like way back in the 90s, okay, (laughs) I'm just going to date myself here. You know, there was literally 2000 accountants in the Chicago office, our biggest office, okay? And literally there were like five African-American accountants. That's it. That's what it was, five of us. And we all knew each other by first name. It was that bad. And there was a lot of diversity in like the mailroom. There was a lot of diversity in the secretary of staff. But with the actual accountants, there weren't that many of us. And it was interesting because, you know, when I like first went to work for Anderson, you know, and I was from Ohio, one of the first questions I asked my coworkers, I was like, you know, hey, where should I live? Where should I live? And if anybody's familiar with Chicago, you know, one of the things that my coworkers did, and I, and I think that they did it totally innocently. I think they actually didn't even see color when they were telling her like, you know what, you need to live at in Lincoln Park or Lakeview. And they're like, whatever you do, avoid the South side of Chicago, avoid the West side of Chicago. And it was interesting because, you know, listening to my coworkers advice, I literally moved up into this high rise building and it was beautiful. Like you looked out this window, you couldn't see where the ocean or the lake ended and the sky began. It was so pretty. But when you got into the elevator, everybody looked like Barbie and Ken and they drove a Jetta. (laughs) And literally what would happen was I would take this bus from from Diversity and Sheridan all the way to like Michigan and Roosevelt. And my mom would hate this, that I was like one of those kids that explored. And I would transition my bus because the Lincoln Park bus didn't go in the South side. They didn't mix that way. And I would see this economic change in the area. The buildings were the same age, but you saw more boarded up windows. You saw less retail spaces. You saw more people walking around, more carts being pushed. I mean, I think you're getting the picture. Mm -hmm. And where my coworkers were thinking to myself, avoid this area. I'm thinking, how do we change this? How do we change this area? And that's why I love what you guys are doing with the Black Wealth Renaissance. I absolutely love what you guys are doing because you're changing that. And I said, you know, we changed this by creating jobs. We changed this by creating profitable entrepreneurship. Because when you succeed, when I succeed in my community, I don't just change my legacy. I change my neighbor's legacy too, right? Because I hire their kid, right? I create jobs and we create a better world. And that's one way of diversifying because when we own our own companies, we have the ability to change the world, right? We have that ability to literally create the company, give the opportunities that nobody else is going to give, right? That, that may be overlooked in an accounting firm of 2000 with only five people of color, right? And then also if you're in that corporate world, which some of us are still in that corporate world, if you're in that position and you're there, own it, act like you belong in there and each one reach one, continue to mentor downward for the next one that's coming up. Well, yeah, I definitely appreciate that answer. And I like how you looked at how the neighborhood shifted and you was like, how can I make a difference with this instead of just turning a blind eye to it or just like, man, just look at this place. But you, you know, you wanted to take some action towards it. And I really think, like you said, that's what we need in our community Mm. is people who wanting to see us do better and really just taking this action towards making the change that we want to see. Yes. And you mentioned at the very beginning of this all, like the ending entrepreneurial poverty piece. I think that's so important with our businesses, especially because in the Black community, I think it's something we discussed on an episode of What's On Your Timeline, our Patreon podcast. Like 
we don't have enough people running successful businesses. And that plays a role in a lot of all the things that we see. If we're not creating these economic opportunities in our community and we're not really learning how to operate at these levels, we're never going to see the change that we want to see because nobody's going to do it for us. Like everybody's seen the meme, like especially black people. We attach a lot of hopes to the presidential election, all that stuff. But the hood looked the same from Reagan to Nixon to Obama to George Bush. to It, it doesn't change. It's going to be us. It takes us to make that change. It definitely does. It takes us to be the examples. And, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And I think the only role model that we really saw on TV outside of the entertainers like Paula Abdul and stuff was really the Bill Cosby show. That was it. That was our only role model. There were no black doctors that we were watching on TV. And so, you know, I really enjoy this moment where we're really pivoting that and really just showing the examples of like the success stories. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Where can people find your book? So you can find our book on Amazon, um, Profit First for Minority Business Enterprises. Y'all go get that. Yes. I'm going to get me a copy. Yeah. Gotta read that. We're gonna have that as a reading for BWR Academy as a yeah. part of the business school when we launch that because that's gonna be very integral, like getting our people to understand that. So I'm excited. That's awesome. Sure. So Suzanne, um, I guess we'll go ahead and we'll pivot to the last segment of the show. So we'll go into what's on your timeline. So we want to ask you, what's something that you've seen on social media, the internet, news, whatever, that you just saw was in- impactful or important, funny, and you wanted to speak on? You know. I think the biggest thing that really stands out to me on social media is we are in a unique time now that it creates so many opportunities. I mean, like you can literally, you know, I was at a point, you know, when I first started my business, our market was literally the people down the street from us, right? People in our own city. And now our market is Dallas, LA, New York, Florida. The market is wide opening, right? And it's interesting. Like I see these Facebook groups pop up. And literally just like, you know, they're industry specific, you know, they're targeting certain clients or niche oriented. And it's all about building that nationwide, even worldwide presence right now is what I'm seeing on the internet. I just think that is such a unique opportunity and time to really create and scale a business because of that. That is such a fact. The internet is the great equalizer. We've spoke on that in the past and I know we feel like it for ourselves. I mean, Blackwell Renaissance wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the internet. Nobody knew who the hell me, Jalen, Jared, Kelly, they didn't know us. We just were some guys who started posting on the internet and we grew an audience. And now we have one of the top 100 business podcasts in the world. And we're impacting the culture in a special way. Like it just, it's a very unique time. It's democratized. A lot of the gatekeepers, they don't have the same power that they used to have before. That was another thing. Like you talk about the market, how it was just so local and like segregated. You usually have to get co-signed by somebody. You don't need nobody to co-sign you these days. You got the algorithm to co-sign you. You got the people, the actual people to do that. And yeah, it's, it's definitely a powerful and pivotal. It's a powerful time. And I think like 20, 30 years from now, we're going to look at it as like a very pivotal time in just society and culture in general. I know we're running out of time, but I have a story to share from the book. You know, it was interesting. When I first started writing the book, I was really tempted to fill it with statistics. 
extremely tempted to fill it with statistics. And as my intern was gathering up statistics and bringing them back to me, I said, you know what? These are terrible, terrible, terrible (laughs) stats. These are so discouraging. And so I purposely made a decision not to include stats. And one of the questions that I ask, because we include several really high profile people in the book, we interview Adrian Trumbo, who was the president of the National Minority Supplier Development Council. I interviewed several of my seven-figure clients. Dr. Avis also is in there. And I asked each one of them, I said, you know what, when you built your business, what was your biggest struggle? What was the biggest challenge that you had building your business? And I expected each one of them to like, at some point, I expected somebody, one or two people to say the color of their skin, going into a room where nobody looked like you. And it was interesting because as I was asking, I, I took a very scientific approach, right? Very, very scientific approach. I was studying the outliers. And so I asked them the same question, same flat face, didn't emphasize anything. I said, what was that biggest challenge? And it was interesting because nobody said the color of their skin. They said, you know, it was learning how to manage people, learning how to understand their numbers, learning to trust in their unique spark, right? The thing that they were bringing in to the table, just trusting in their gut instinct. But nobody said the color of their skin. Hmm. And it was interesting because I said, you know what? This is a unique time. You know, I'm three generations removed from slavery. My grandfather was a sharecropper in North Carolina. And he worked the plantation that used to enslave our family. And this is a unique time that, just like you said, David, there's nothing holding us back right now, but our own That's mindset. Right. Hmm. That was a, I'm glad you shared that story because I honestly, I look at the color of my skin as an advantage. Like it makes you stop Especially and look at me. Like right it now. makes you stop and look at me and I'm going to use that every chance that I get. Like, if you want to speak to me, okay, let's speak. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. It's amazing. It's just amazing time. Yes, indeed. I love it. So Miss Suzanne, if there's anybody who's out there that want to keep up with you, maybe they want to connect with you. What are some ways that they can get in touch? Maybe they want to become a client of yours if they meet the criteria. What's some ways that they can do those? Well, we have a free Profit First Masterclass where literally I teach you the ins and outs of Profit First absolutely for free. It's typically a week long and they can just go online to Facebook, Profit First Masterclass with Suzanne Morega. Make sure it says with Suzanne Morega. And they can sign up and enroll in our free Profit First Masterclass and learn about Profit First. Wow. I love it. Y'all so definitely she came on that. here yeah. and gave all this game for free. If you really looking to try to turn it around in your business, it's an even more, all the freeness. That's a very giving <laughs> thing of you. Thank you. It's been, you know, I admire you guys' podcasts. I've been you know, listening to it. You know, I'm just vegging out on it. I love what you guys are doing and just changing the face of America. And, you know, I'm really excited in 10 years that our neighborhoods are going to look so differently. I'm excited. Appreciate Definitely. Thank you. We appreciate it. Definitely means a lot coming from you that you're a fan of it and that we're providing some value because every time I just hear someone say that it doesn't matter if they're younger or they're older than us, it really weighs a Mm -hmm. lot for us. So appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm like, it's a big honor to be here. No problem. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely appreciated having you today. And before we get up out of here, we'll get into some house cleaning notes. We always want to say thank you to all of our fans who come in, listen to us week in, week out. Want to say thank you for making us successful. Like David said before, you know, the people are who helped us really get there. And we just want to keep on providing this great information, this great value to you. And uh, we're definitely always working on improving ourselves, improving our production, improving our audio. So if you want to contribute, help us with that, you can do that by two ways. You can join our Patreon where you can get access to behind the scenes content and a special podcast segment done by just the four of us, Kelly, Jared, myself, 
and David, like you'll get to hear What's from that. Timeline? You get to also make some decisions with the podcast. Like yeah. the, the most recent intro was decided by the Patreons. So you get to also make some decisions. You get to join that community. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribute, you can do that through our anchor link down at the bottom in the show notes. Just yes, scroll sir. right on up and you can do a one-time donation of whatever you feel like donating. We definitely will appreciate that. And we yep. also got some other yep. stuff. I, say, I got it. I got the next thing, man. And we earlier, Jalen, he just touched on community. And we mentioned it before. We had that class on IRAs and BWR Academy. BWR Academy is going crazy. Number one personal finance community on the planet. Yep. Don't argue with me. I'm not here to argue with nobody about that. We got a dope community. We have weekly accountability calls, budgeting calls, and biweekly classes from great instructors on credit, insurance, retirement, retirement planning. And we have... The Savings Challenge, on our mission to help a thousand families save a million dollars, partnering up with Capital to give people special access to these different tools and accounts that normally they're a little bit prohibitive. You know, they got some features that you normally can't get, but yeah. you know, your boys, we went fit, we went work something out for it and we got it going special. So if you want to be a part of BWR Academy, go ahead to www.bwracademy.com and yeah. sign up. You need to have a Discord account before you do that, but BWR Academy promise you you won't regret it link below in the show notes she got kelly also subscribe to our youtube we're releasing everything on through youtube as well as join the community like these guys have said look at our courses we've got the ebook how to manage your money like the one percent yes sir continue enjoying these copy as well for sure for sure make sure you're giving us a rating letting us know what a five-star rating letting us know what you think of the podcast if you like it dislike it let us know and continue to rock with us Yes, sir. And hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.